All right, well, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 10. I'm going to continue our sermon series looking at the I Am sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of John. Covered several so far. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Last week, I am the door. And this week, we'll look at where he says, I am the good shepherd. Kids, if you're looking for the word of the day, it will be shepherd. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's on page 1140. We'll look at John, John 10, verses 11 through 21. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have gathered us here to worship you through singing, through hearing and speaking your word, through receiving the Lord's Supper, In a little bit, Uh, you've gathered us to worship you through the preaching of the word. And we thank you and we pray, Lord, that you would bless this time now. We know that your word does not go out and return to you empty, that it always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. And so with uh, expectation, uh, we ask for your blessing as we spend this time in your precious and perfect word. We ask that you would use it to help us grow, to continue to form us into the likeness of Christ and help us to be more excited and more equipped to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There's a certain mindset or kind of feeling in your stomach when you're facing something challenging uh, something scary, something difficult. And depending on what it is, depending, you know, that, that kind of has an impact on how you feel about it. Um, last night, I got a text from Hannah. I was here and I got a text from Hannah who was at home and found out that uh, Noah, my oldest child, my son, uh, needed to go to the urgent care uh, center because a toy kind of mysteriously flew across the room and hit him in the head 
and uh, it put a pretty decent gash in his head. And so I see the picture that she sent, and then you know me in blood, and I laid on the floor for a little while, and then when I got up, <laughs> I uh, got my composure and got in the car and drove over to the urgent care center just in time to be there when they put three staples in, uh, in his head, and he's fine. Um, and what we, here's what was so interesting, though, and it made me so excited for right now. Um, I was very calm. And on the ride over, I was at peace. And as I walked in and saw my son on his back screaming out loud and a doctor holding his head with a medical stapler, I was okay. And it's because I was thinking about what we're going to talk about right now. And it's just, it's so powerful to know that Jesus is the good shepherd. And when you're facing some sort of difficulty or challenge, to really believe that he is the good shepherd and understand what that means about him for you and I, it really does change the way you approach things and that changes your life. So we're going to be talking about what it means for Jesus to be the good shepherd. And really what it means is that because he's the good shepherd, we can depend on him in times of need. No matter what it is, no matter what we're facing, no matter how difficult or scary or whatever it is, if we know in our hearts that Jesus is the good shepherd, then we know we can depend on him for whatever it is we're facing. And it it changes the way that we experience those things. Uh, and helps us to see how glorious he truly is. So that's where we're headed this morning, to see that, that fact, that powerful fact, that because Jesus is the good shepherd, we can depend on him in times of need. And we're going to talk about three things, uh, his, his ownership of us, his knowledge of us, and his agreement that he made about us. And we'll, we'll, as we look at those things, each of those things are reasons why we know we can depend on Jesus. If we, if we are followers of Christ, these are three powerful things for us to be thinking about, especially when we're facing some sort of trouble. So look at verses 11 through 13 and keep your Bibles open. I want to walk through this and, and show you these things in the text. Uh, if we look at the first few verses here, 11 through 13, what we want to see here is that we can depend on Jesus because, listen to me, because we belong to him. He owns us. Take a look. Uh, he says, well, actually, no, we'll get there in a second. Here's, here's what we have to understand. Look at the very first phrase where he says, I am the good shepherd. And before we talk about how this shows how he owns us, I want you to, uh, I want you to see uh, something about what he's saying here, a claim that he's making. Okay? A claim that he's making when he says, I am the good shepherd. You see, in the Old Testament, there was this time in redemptive history where God speaks to his people particularly to the leaders of his people, about a promise that he's making, a promise for him to come himself and do something. In Ezekiel 34, God is speaking and he's saying that the leaders of Israel are failing miserably. They're taking advantage of his people instead of serving them. And so what he says is, I'm going to come myself and I'm going to shepherd my people myself. And he talks about how he's going to seek his people and rescue his people and feed his people and give his people rest. Listen to Exodus or Ezekiel uh, 34, 13. He says, and I will bring them, talking about the sheep, out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. Verse 15, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost 
And I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. All these beautiful promises. God was saying he's going to come himself and care for his people. And so now Jesus stands here and he says, I am, which we know from the series that we've we've already learned that that that's God's name in the Old Testament. And he says the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He is referring to this promise. He is saying, here I am. I am God who has come to shepherd and care for my people in person. Okay, so we have to understand that monumental claim. And notice that in that claim is that this promise that he's going to gather all his people and then lead them to a new land. And we, in the grand scheme of things, we know that that's a picture of Jesus saying he's here to gather up all his people and lead them to the promised land, to the new heavens and new earth. Okay, so with that claim, now understanding that that's what he's saying, that's who he is, he is the good shepherd, God who has come to care for his people in person. Now look at this comparison he makes. Look at the rest of verse 11 through 13. He's going to compare now the, the good shepherd and this hired hand. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So now he's making this comparison between the good shepherd and the hired hand. Now, what is the hired hand in this moment? Someone who is completely not dependable. Right? I mean, the sheep are completely left alone. Why? What happens? The hired hand sees the wolf coming and he's like, that's it. I'm out of here. And he leaves them on their own. Leaves them vulnerable. Now, why? Why does he go running away? Well, because it says in verse 13, he doesn't care about the sheep. Why doesn't he care? Because it says in verse 12, he does not own them. They don't belong to him. And so he doesn't really care about them. Now, Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. And here's the comparison. The comparison is, unlike the hired hand who will take off, Jesus will lay down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Why? Well, because unlike the hired hand who doesn't care about the sheep, the good shepherd cares about the sheep more than the sheep could ever even fathom. Why does he care so much about the sheep? Because they belong to him. That's the difference. The hired hand, the sheep don't belong to him. But the good shepherd, the sheep belong to him. They're his. And this is what Herman Ritterboss says is probably the main thing here. Sometimes people try to figure out, well, who is the hired hand? Is that the Pharisees maybe? Or is that maybe a bad pastor or something like that? And Ritterboss says, no, no, don't miss the sweetness of what's being said here. Jesus is saying that I am the good shepherd. And the reason I'll lay my life down for my sheep is because I care about them. The reason I care about them is because they belong to me. And you know that we tend to take care of things that we own Better than things that we don't, right? When, when, if you own something that's very special to you, you take good care of it. Even make sacrifices for it. I have a friend named Ed, and he was telling me about his friend named Tom. And Tom is an orange farmer uh, somewhere in South Florida. And Ed and his wife went to visit Tom and his wife. And they uh, ended up having dinner. And at, at the kind of end of the dinner, Tom said to Ed, Hey, do you want to get up in the middle of the night with me and go to the orange grove and turn on the water? And of course, I mean, how would you say no, right? So Ed says, yes, I will get up in the middle of the night and go to the orange grove with you and turn on the water. And so Ed said, "Why? by the way, why are we, why are we doing this? And Tommy explained to him that 
there were certain windows of time that you could water, and you could actually start watering in the middle of the night, and he wanted his trees to get as much water as possible, so that's what he was going to do. So then midnight comes, or whenever it was in the middle of the night, and they get up and they go, and when they get there, they're, uh, they get to the orange grove, and they're walking to the pump, and Tommy's kind of clearing some stuff off the pump, and he's about to turn this big wheel that's going to turn on the water, and you can hear these other sprinklers coming on in the other orange groves nearby. And so Ed says to Tommy, are you telling me that every farmer is out here in the middle of the night turning on their water? And Tom says, only the ones who own their groves. The farmers who were either renting or just paid to work there, they didn't get up in the middle of the night and do that. The ones that owned their groves wanted what is best for their groves. And think about it. Tommy was not thinking, hey, let's go in the middle of the night and water these trees because they've earned it today. (laughs) We belong to Jesus and Jesus, therefore, cares for us uh, more deeply than we can imagine. And therefore, that's why he laid his life down for us. And so when we think about uh, facing some sort of challenge, there's this, this uh, tendency or there's this, this uh, possible moment where we would think that Jesus has abandoned me. Jesus is not here with me. He doesn't, he's not here to help me. And, and Jesus is saying to us in this passage, I am not some hired hand who doesn't care about what belongs to me. I am the good shepherd. And so I think this just cries out to us to ask us, what is our attitude when we face some big, scary challenge? Is it that I'm alone in this or is it that he, my shepherd, has led me to this? He will lead me through this. And believe, that's the, that's the call here, that we would believe he is with us. He would never abandon us. He's not a hired hand. He's the good shepherd. And so whatever it is we're facing, he is with us. If he led us to it, he'll lead us through it. Maybe... Maybe uh, some of you are wrestling with financial trouble at this time, don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Most of us have experienced that, and there's this this real question in our heart. What are we going to do? What am I going to do? And that tension about what you're going to do can often impact your relationship with your spouse and even with your children, even job performance, because we get so worked up and worried. And when that happens, it's because we're forgetting something very important. We have not been abandoned. The good shepherd is with us. If he led us to it, he'll lead us through it. You could say the same for when we're having marital struggles. You know, how are we going to get through this fight we're having or something like that? And we would, the best thing to do is to stop and remember the Lord is my shepherd and he's a good shepherd. He lays his life down for the sheep. He cares about me. He will not abandon me. He's with me right now. Because after all, I mean, the gospel is that it's the good news that Jesus, the good shepherd, did not abandon us in our greatest moment of need when he was on the cross. Paying for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God by grace through faith, right? And if he did not abandon us in our greatest moment of need, surely whatever it is you're facing right now, he is with you. The Lord is your shepherd. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you strength and to give you faith to believe that he is with you in this thing. Because you belong to him. Not only that, but he knows you. Let's talk about his knowledge. Not only his ownership of us, but his knowledge of us. Look at 14 through 16. And we want to see this, that we can depend on Jesus because he knows us. He knows everything about us. Take a look. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me 
and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And I want to I want to really focus in on the knowledge here. But but real quick, you got to just see that he can't help but to refer to the Great Commission when he calls himself the good shepherd. You see that? He says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, right now in this part of his ministry, he's he's calling his people out of the nation of Israel. And later when he sends the apostles and uh, and even us all over the world to make disciples of all nations, it's his continued ministry mission to bring in all the sheep, all his people from all the nations, gather them together and then lead them to the new heavens and new earth, the promised land. In fact, remember what it says in Ezekiel 34, 13, he says, I will bring my sheep out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and so it's just i just think that's just the sweetest thing that when he's talking about being dependable he can't help but to mention oh by the way i have sheep all over this big ball of mud but we can depend on him because he knows us he knows us that greek word it's it's something that's used in the new testament for more than just knowing who somebody is but really knowing them in fact a real intimate knowledge of that person uh, Herman Ritterboss says about this that you could really, it's, it's hard to distinguish what love and knowing are here. They kind of mean the same thing in this passage. So he, he knows us in the way that he knows someone who he loves deeply. And the reality is, if he knows us, then whatever it is we're facing, not only can we be sure that he's with us, because he doesn't abandon us like a hired hand, but also we can know that he knows everything about it. He knows everything about us. And he knows exactly what he's doing and why the things are happening the way they are. And he also knows way more than we do. The, uh, this morning, I was about to back my car out of the garage, and there was a little toad. And I had two options. Flat toad or a helped toad. And I chose the latter, and so I walk up behind this toad, and he starts hopping. And he's hopping, and I'm walking, just letting him hop. And surely, what is he thinking in that moment? This is it! I'm going down! You know, he's, he thinks this is the end of everything, right? Because there's this big monster, 220 pound guy about to step on me. And what he doesn't know is, did I just tell you how much I weigh? That's awkward. <laughs> Here's what he didn't know. What he didn't know is I'm saving this little guy, right? Because I know more about him in that moment than he does, don't I? And you look, at these challenges and wonder if God is there, wonder if Jesus is with you and we know that he is. And then you look and you wonder if he really knows you and what's going on and whether this can, if this is, how is this going to possibly end up in some good way? And, and we have to stop and say, wait a second, who are we talking about here? He knows me. He knows everything about me. I remember uh, one time, one of our disappointments, not, not the worst one, but it applies in any type of major disappointment. So we had a disappointment, Hannah and I. Um, when uh, I felt called to be a pastor, we applied to the seminary that we thought I should go to. It's the seminary where uh, several of the pastors of the old church we used to go to went. So we just automatically thought this is where we should go to seminary. So I applied to it. And uh, we got so excited and we were looking in the city about where we would live. We found the apartment building we wanted to move into. I think Hannah even had the tower and the unit picked out. Uh, I mean, we were just we were like measuring our furniture, looking at the floor plans of these places. We just thought this is a done deal. You know, God wants me to be a pastor. So, of course, we're going to get into the seminary. And then we got this little letter. 
And it was one of those thin envelopes. And it said, Dear Matthew, thank you for your application. We're sorry to inform you that we are rejecting you. But Jesus loves you. And... Uh, <laughs> And we just, like, we just lost it, right? We were, like, sitting on the couch. I wish we had that some video. We were just, like, sitting on the couch crying. And uh, and I was like, I guess I'm not supposed to be a pastor. And it was just, like, this horrible, awkward moment. Until, see, we hadn't told anybody that we were going to apply to that particular seminary. And then when I told my father-in-law, who's the man who discipled me and knew what my theology was, when I told him that we had applied to this seminary but we didn't get in, he said, well, actually, that's probably pretty good because you wouldn't have graduated from that seminary. And he wasn't, you know, attacking my competency in any way or shape or form. He knew where I was at theologically on certain points. And he also knew that at that time, that seminary required that you sign a statement saying you agree with all their doctrinal statements, one of which I could not sign to. It's a minor doctrinal issue, but I don't believe it to be true. And so I I wouldn't have been able to graduate. And I'm realizing, he knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows how I'm wired. He knows how he's made me. He knows what I need. He even knows the theology that he's given to me. Right? So, so we can trust him because we, we know that he knows us. You know, when you don't get the job that you want, there's, a, there's two options. You can get destroyed over that or you can say, well, he knows me and he knows what I need. Or when you don't get into the college that you were hoping to get into. I know everybody's finding out whether they got into college if you're a senior in high school. And some people are finding out they're not going where they want. Just like that seminary. I, I did go to the seminary, by the way. I got into another one. <laughs> on a technicality. Um, but in that moment, like, what do you do, right? Do you say, this is horrible? Or you just say, well, he knows me better than I know me. He knows you. And what is... The gospel, the gospel is the good news that Jesus knows everything about us, all the sins we would ever commit, and he still laid down his life for us. And if he knows everything about us and enough to know what he's paying for on the cross, of course he knows everything about you right now and what you're going through. He has not abandoned you. He doesn't do that. And he knows you. Third, let's think about this agreement that he made. The, the, another reason that we can we can depend on Jesus is because he agreed to be dependable to us in eternity. In eternity past. Let me let me explain what I mean. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, "For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Now, notice this is the third time that he's talking about laying down his life in this passage. And this is the central piece of the Christian faith. That the good shepherd would lay his life down for the sheep, paying for our sins, that we would be reconciled to God by grace through faith. This is the way he's this is the ultimate way in which he's the good shepherd. He's paid our debt. He's given his life for ours. But notice here, what this is getting at is that before the creation of the world, God the Father and God the Son, along with God the Holy Spirit, entered into this agreement. That's what an accord is. It's an agreement. Okay, And the, and the agreement was that the, the Son would give his life. And notice where it says, lay down his life. That's not zoe, the Greek word that means biological life. It's suke, which is the Greek word that means soul. 
So he's saying that this, there's, there was an agreement made between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that the Father would appoint people for salvation and the Son would go and accomplish that salvation by laying down his soul, by allowing the, 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 the wrath of God to come down upon his very soul to pay for our sin. This was an agreement, a pact. And in Reformed theology, we call this the pactum salutis. That's in Latin. We call it the pact of salvation. That before the creation of the world... This agreement was made. Why are you saved? Could you put your faith in Jesus? No. Because before the creation of the world, the Father and the Son, along with the Holy Spirit, entered into a pact to create and then to redeem a people out of fallen humanity. Listen to this. One author says, The pactum salutis has reference to our salvation as it is secured by the inviolable, eternal Decrees of God. In that respect, we may rightly say that there never was a time in which God did not love and choose us in Christ. Now, do you see that? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that eternally, the choice, the pact was made before time existed. Blows my mind. Right? But but this is something that happened in eternity. This agreement that was made. And so, uh, Gerhardus Voss says this, The best proof that God will never cease to love us lies in that he never began. Now hear me clearly. That is not, he's not saying in any way, shape, or form that God does not love us. What he's saying is his love for us is eternal, just like him. It didn't start at one point, and therefore it cannot end. God's love for us is eternal, just like he is. And it all comes down to this agreement that was made. That's how we know we can depend on him. The agreement was made and then carried through. Jesus came and went to the cross. Think about this. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Do you see that? So why does God continue his faithfulness to us? Why does Jesus promise us here that I'll always be with you? I won't abandon you like a hired hand. I know everything about you. And I'm going to be faithful to you. Why does he promise that? Is it because of something we do? Is it because we're going to earn it somehow? No, it is all strictly because he has loved us with an everlasting love. We know that the love of Christ cannot ever for us end because it never really began. It's from eternity. And this makes his love and care for us not only guaranteed, but beautiful. If you still have your Bible open, look at, the, look at the word where it says, I am the good shepherd. I want to tell you something about that word good. There's two ways, at least two ways in the New Testament where we see the word, uh, two Greek words that we both translate as good. One is agathos, and that uh, usually is when, they're, when the reference is to something that's morally good. Okay. But that's not the word that Jesus uses here. When he says, I am the good shepherd, he uses the Greek word kalos, which doesn't have the connotation of morality. It has the connotation of beauty. You could translate this, I am the beautiful shepherd. And that's what he is. And that's why his love is so beautiful. It does not begin or end. And therefore, he knows everything about us. And therefore, he also 
will never abandon us, but be with us no matter what we're going through, no matter how hard or challenging it is. So you, so when we face something difficult, the number one thing we should do is begin to repeat Psalm 23 to ourselves, right? We should be thinking about the fact that the Lord is my shepherd, and we should be thinking about what that means. He's the good shepherd. He's not a hired hand. He's, he's not going anywhere. He's not going to abandon me. If he leads me to it, he'll lead me through it. And also, he knows exactly what's happening. He knows everything about me. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows exactly what I need on this journey to the new heavens and new earth that he's leading me to. And this all rests in the eternal foundation of the pact, the agreement that was made before I was ever created. That's how you face challenges in this world. Listen, I want to challenge you. There's been times in my life where I have had Psalm 23 memorized, and I realized the other day it has kind of fallen out of my brain. So I'm going to re-memorize Psalm 23. I want to invite all you to do it with me. And uh, I want to say it with you now, and I want to challenge you to memorize it again. If you uh, have never memorized it, maybe this would be a great first time for you to memorize Psalm 23 and file it away and keep it tucked in your heart. And the second you see a challenge, you start to say it. And I also want to do this. I know that some of us are facing something pretty big, pretty difficult right now. And I want you to get that up into your view right now, thinking about that challenge. What is that thing that's scaring you to death or making you worry or making you wonder? And now I want you to say with me Psalm 23 and believe it deeply and then face that challenge knowing this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and kind. And you are perfectly faithful to us. As is our King and Savior, the Lord Jesus And the Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns with you, one God, now and forever. Would you help us, Lord, to live life with a shepherd? Don't let us walk around feeling like we are sheep without a shepherd, because Jesus has paid our debt, and he has assured us in his word, in your word, that he is the good shepherd. We pray these things in his name. Amen.